Hello and welcome to the Chainsaw Buffet Podcast, the podcast that's brought to you by Borders, one of the nation's largest book retailers. Oh, that's a blast from the past. They've uh, ex- a book? They've expanded their aisles, uh, taking <laughs> out all the books that they have for sale. So now you can sit around there and read books for free all you want to, you freeloaders. <laughs> uh, Shoutouts to everybody that just sat around in the manga aisle. Just slowly crushing the life out of borders with absolute no concern for anyone. Um, Considering <laughs> their prices, it was a mercy killing. Perhaps. Uh, I am John, the fighter of the party. I am joined by our resident rogue, Chad. I take exception to that. Uh, our wizard, Charlie. Really? I'm a wizard? Yes. Yeah, because wizards. Hey, we're off to see me. Uh, awesome. And uh, we have our cleric, Dylan. Oh. Um, I'm I'm not gonna heal you. Uh, I know yeah. you're not. Heal. <laughs> evil cleric. Oh no, I I kid. But lawful evil cleric. I think he's more like true neutral because he doesn't really do anything, except that he refuses to heal people, which ah uh, lawful evil. I I think that's more refusing to do anything. I think that's more neutral. Okay, split the difference. Neutral evil. As opposed to me, I'm just chaotic stupid. There is that. Um, anyway, uh, got some great stuff lined up for you this week. Um, first off, I want to talk about something that I had the distinct pleasure of doing yesterday. Uh, I got to sit down with actress Courtney Taylor. Most folks will know her from uh, being Jack in Mass Effect, um, Ada Wong in Resident Evil 6 and Resident Evil uh, Damnation, and being Starla from Regular Show. Um, we sat down, we talked for a while, got to know her a little bit. And uh, something I got to do with her that I'll never get to do with any of you, I got to sit there and have a conversation about 49ers football for about 10 minutes. So uh, that's going to be going up on the site on Wednesday. I encourage everybody to check it out. It's a really fun interview. Wow. Yeah. yeah you could you could have a 10-minute talk about uh, the 49ers. Just to be with yourself. But Right. It just, but, but still, it's it, talking. I, I suppose. <laughs> That's how it feels sometimes. It would be, hey, the rest of us could nod politely. I, I appreciate that. At least I know I could get that from you, Charlie. Um, Yay. That's more than I can say for a lot of people. Dylan. Right? Anyway, um, a little bit of news. Um, kind of a slow week. Also, I haven't kept up with news very closely because I was under the weather for the vast majority majority of the week and mercifully got over it uh, in time to do the interview. But... Um, had a weird story um, that ended up being a whole bunch of nothing. I'll just go over it quickly. Um, someone from a, a group called Advertising Age reported that Microsoft was looking to use Connect Data for marketing, which had been something that had been talked about, worried about. And then Microsoft comes back and says, no, we don't have any plans for that. Somebody misinterpreted what we said. And if we ever did do something like that, which we're not planning to, we swear, uh, you could opt out of it. So I, I I don't know whether or not to read a lot into that. Um, this is the same Microsoft that said it wasn't giving uh, you know our data to the government when it was. But Well, it almost um, sounds like the kind of thing that some marketing guy put in a presentation like, someday we could do this. And, you know, trying to impress someone and... Uh, turns yes. out it was crap, but it it got into the wrong. Well, it it may not have audience. been crap. It's something that they could theoretically do, but well, yeah, it's it not been something that they had any plans for, at least at the present time. I, you know, I I don't know what to say. Everybody will sell your information at the drop of a hat, so I don't know that I can get any more out you know any any special yeah. outrage for it i mean other than just general outrage that that's the world we live in but true um so that was a thing that happened just gonna skip right on past that um i came across something because oh hey guess what you know uh, when somebody posts a trailer for a new fighting game i tend to watch them but this one was kind of interesting and the only reason i bring it up um is because it features characters from uh Several different anime franchises like Sword Art Online and uh, Shakugan no Shana, really, and uh, certain scientific uh, in or a certain scientific relegan slash a certain magical index. Uh, all those shows, yeah, that was actually um, as I, you know, they're all actually in the game. I don't 
think we'll ever get to play it in the States, but um, Atlas is releasing a game um, later this year called Aquapaza that has similarly uh, different franchises in it, and it's coming out here in the States. So there might be a small possibility, but... That's interesting. I don't know that holds out a ton of hope that we'd see it stateside. But it's it's an interesting thing. I'll put the trailer up in case anybody wants to see it. Um, I know some people may want to import it, but uh, as as discussed with the whole JoJo's uh, thing, you know, import at your own risk. True. How did they get all those properties on one game? Are they owned by the same company? I'm not sure, um, to be honest with you, because I don't... Uh, I'm I'm a little uh, lax in my knowledge of who owns what properties as far as parent companies in Japan. Uh, you know, yeah. I I follow who licenses what here in the states, but you know, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, you know, what the connecting thread is, or if it's something where several different companies did, you know, like a Marvel versus Capcom kind of deal. And true, it's not unprecedented. Yeah. And it's not it's not like a uh, Shonen Jump kind of thing where they've done games like that in the past. Oh, gotcha. That would be weird because if Shonen Jump did a video game, they could cross over what Bleach, Naruto, One Piece, Death they've Note. Done really? Yeah, they've done several. They've just never been brought over to the United States because of licensing hell. That does kind of surprise me because you think. Since those shows tend to gain some serious traction over here, that sooner or later you'd, we'd see something. I guess it it would depend on who got the license to the game, which that would get very complicated, I imagine. Yeah, I, I don't know how um, property licensing between you know like uh, anime company in Japan versus a distributor here in the United States works. You know what. What those licenses entail in terms of uh, intellectual properties being brought over to the United States and things like that. So I don't know mm. what kind of interests they may or may not have. But they have done. But they have done crossover games before. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, My mind boggles. I'm, I'm glad I can expand your knowledge. Um, well, I appreciate it. Somebody put the NBC shooting star over my head and. Yeah. Um, This was probably the most interesting thing I saw during the week, and Dylan and I imagine you'll probably at least have a little bit to say about it. Um, Square Enix has announced that they are starting something called The Collective, and it's a crowdfunding initiative where basically it's been described as a combination between uh, Steam's Greenlight program and Kickstarter, where developers can propose a game. And people can vote up or down on the different game ideas. And then if it gets enough support, Square Enix looks into whether or not they actually have the means to develop the game. And if they do, then it goes on to, uh, you know, like a crowdfunding initiative after that. So it's an interesting um, initiative by a major publisher. So I don't know... Seems like a lot of hurdles to jump through that you've got to get enough votes to even get. Then you've got to get enough. You've got to win the popularity contest to then go to the funding popularity contest. Well, the problem is that happens everywhere. Yeah, I don't know that you're necessarily getting any more or less hoops than you would trying to kickstart your own game and then get it on the Steam through Greenlight. Yeah, uh, maybe the order is slightly different. I do think, um, in this case. Um, it, it's interesting in that it is ostensibly for a developer that develops for platforms other than Steam, you know, Square Enix multi-platform developer. Um, I don't know how it would work, but potentially you could see a game come through that program and make it onto major consoles. So that would be hmm. an interesting step in the right direction because as of now, most of that kind of thing belongs in you know steam and, and pc's domain although occasionally you know some of the larger kickstarter projects you know like mighty number no. nine recently had stretch goals to get on ps3 and ps4 and 360 and xbox one and all that which they met and achieved and so on and so forth but it's not necessarily as common hmm 
Yeah, I, that may change with the next generation, considering that both Sony and Microsoft have kind of up opened up, you know, or at least allowed developers to sign up for um, independent accounts. Right, and, and there's not quite as many hurdles uh, in the next generation, it looks like. So it could be interesting. I think what's interesting about this, and, and the article pretty much says this, is it kind of, it's a way for... You know, you know, it mentions the Double Fine Kickstarter. Uh, Mighty Number no. Nine has, um, you know, a well-known name behind it. It it does sound like this could be a way for lesser-known um, developers to actually get um, a lot of traction because it it does have to be curated by Square Enix. The downside is that means it's not kind of this open democracy where everyone has a shot. You do kind of have to imp- impress uh, Square Enix um, to get through, but... But you at least have to prove to them that you're capable of doing what you say you're going to do, which yeah. makes sense. Anyway, you were saying? Um, no, I just, I, I think that's interesting. And, and it also, it's kind of interesting that um, it sounds like Square Enix is staying out of the funding process. It says they're, they're putting everything through Indiegogo. And I imagine, I would imagine there has to be some sort of outlay of cash or resources or something here coming from Square Enix as well, at least in terms of marketing. What I think is interesting is that kind of makes me think of Ouya did a, uh, the Ouya console, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did some sort of program, and I haven't been paying much attention to this, I've just heard other people talk about this, where... If you made your game exclusive on Ouya for a certain amount of time, which is just ignore the irony of that whole thing, considering they were trying to be the open console, um, that they would give you, you know, and your Kickstarter got funded, they would give you a bonus. And there were a lot of these Kickstarters that people started to notice got really, really large donate or pledges, you know, and it's you know it's it sounds like someone is monkeying with the process but this seems like you know they're kind of letting you don't have to run your own kickstarter you you just have to uh get the votes and pitch it to uh square enix to right. get the um which i i would like to see that maybe uh mitigate some of the problems I have with crowdfunding and some of the problems I have with, you know, indie gaming in general, but who knows? Well, because I, I, as I've said many, many times, I love the theory of both of those things. I hate the reality of them. Well, okay. One crowdfunding. I don't think there is ever going to be anything that is perfect. Like there's no, it's never going to be perfectly democratized where, you know, steam, Greenlight tried to be that. It didn't, you know, like it had major problems. Xbox Live Indie Games, to a certain extent, tried to um, open it up t- to everyone. That had major problems. Like, I don't think it can be done. Indie gaming, there, there are good games out there, and you just you have to wade through a lot of bad ones or games that get a lot of hype but maybe aren't your thing. Um. So, I don't know. I think it's a good thing. And I also like that, I I don't know how this will play out, but the article also mentions that uh, Square Enix may allow some developers to work with uh, older Eidos Eidos IP, Um, which that, that seems kind of, that seems kind of interesting. They could do a lot of neat things with that. Well, here's the thing. Other than uh, Tomb Raider, which ostensibly would be off limits, uh, what other Eidos IPs can you you name? I I don't know. I mean, just the the fact of it, maybe not, but the fact that the company is willing to open up its vaults and, you know, like, it's good for the company because it has whatever IPs it has and might as well use those, but you're right. It's not opening much up. To developers, but at the same time, just the fact that they're willing to try that is a good sign. Hmm. 
Yeah, I was about to say, I, I, unless somebody wants to bring back, was uh, Gex the Gecko uh, a, uh, an IDOS IP, or am I thinking of something else? But I barely remember that that was a thing. I think so. that was an IDOS game. Um, but yeah, unless somebody wants to, to work with you know some crap uh, franchise like that, you know they're not they're not gonna let you touch Tomb Raider. But everything mm. else, sure, go for it. There's a reason they bought them out. <laughs> um, Charlie, your your sister sent us an interesting link during the week to something oh. called Brony Mate. She mentioned that to me, but I still don't. I, she didn't really explain what the deal was. Well, I don't. Um, I don't know how much there is to explain at this point. It is what it sounds like. It's a bronies. Huh. I listen, everybody. Like what you like. It's fine. But um, I'm having a problem with a lot of these dating services um, because they get more and more specialized to the point of being racist. Um, what do you mean? Oh, like some of the ads you see? Yes. You, you know, and I, I think part of that is probably it's very easy to put up. I, I imagine it's very easy to build a simple dating service because you're just feed it a bunch of, you know, you have things like... Um, gender, height, orientation, like, you have all these simple points of data that you can filter on. Like, it can't be that hard to do. And I imagine a lot of these are just, like, the same person. They've built one data, uh, one dating site, and they're just, like, cloning it, you know. Importing it over to uh, farmer's meat. Yeah. And, and Which, so, that's a real thing. Like, there's a farmer's dating site. Really? Yeah, they show commercials oh. for an Adult Swim. But I thought you were joking. If, if no, that is real, and, and if that actually gets any real traffic at all, I, I, I have to imagine that's not actual farmers, but people who are into the idea of the lifestyle of farming. Like, it's kind of like... Like waking up at 5 a.m. and... Well, no, it's just the the concept, like the the image of the the typical American farmer. That's what they're into. It's really selling an image. Which, which image is it? You know, like Green Acres or a Chevy Silverado commercial? I, I'm guessing the latter. Uh, huh. Good Midwestern real America. Down the Midwesterners. Midwesterners are all from Central Europe. I don't trust them. But I, I, as far as Brony Mate, I, I, I do kind of agree with you, John. On this one, like a lot of the other ones are based on religion or race or something that... In something theory, meaningful, you know. In theory, something that you, you grow up as part of and, you know, the, 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 there's some maybe connection to. Bronies, it's kind of like... I have a connection to this from two years ago. Whether you whether you like it or not, it's basically pop cultural oh. ephemera. You're going to... You know, five or ten years from now, you're going to be over it and on to something else. Maybe you've grown up and have learned to maybe like moderate your your uh, you know not make what you're into a a part of your personal identity, like the core of your personal identity. But uh, wait, wait, wait! Oh, see, now you're you're treading on much thinner ice, sir. The uh, making what you like part of your personal identity because now you're just calling out all nerds and geeks. Well, Basically uh, everyone everywhere about anything ever. I well, okay. I th- I think there's a line. When you're when you're saying like Oh now there's a line, sir. Well which is it? When you say when you say brony, when you when you call yourself a name based on a a single show, that might be a little too far. There are other things in the world, friend, and uh you uh you could you could define yourself by some of those as well. So the important thing is that you just don't define yourself a way that Dylan disapproves of. Yes. Uh, okay. No, I, I won't even so say... So now we, we need to understand where Dylan's coming from. That he just doesn't like certain definitions. Yes, that's exactly what I just said. <laughs> yeah. So replace brony with black folk and... Uh, that's... What... Didn't didn't and I su- start? And suddenly, and suddenly, we're probably your grandparents. No, it's, no, no, no. It's fine. First of all, oh. <laughs> what about black brony my, farmers? Where my, do they my grandparents go? are dead, and also I can't deny that at least one of them would have probably 
I'll be honest. I I will at least once visit a black brony farmer dating site. <laughs> because I, I want to know what's up there. You know, I'm pretty sure that the brony dating site, like you get plenty of people signing up, but I, I, I imagine it's worse than a normal dating site as far as like male to female ratio. But I, I kind of... Well, that in cougar life. Yeah, oh. I, I kind of wonder like you're you're cutting down drastically on the number of uh, potential users you have, you know, people who couldn't just go to a normal general dating site or, and find what they want. Or even a geek dating site. Cause those are things too. So. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it seems like if you narrow it down to a certain point, you have a hard time keeping users because it's just sad to go there. And here comes Darth Chad. <laughs> what? Nothing. Love you. I'm not saying anything. I know. I'm not saying anything. We know. <laughs> uh, speaking of, of, of saying something, Chad, uh, I think we've run out of uh, useless business to go through. Um, what did you have for us on the dice pile this week? Uh, well, let's see. There's, it's, it's one thing that we've been playing a few of recently as far as when we've gotten together with board games. There have been a lot of board games lately that uh, are, and then over the years, there have been a lot of board games that kind of incorporate elements of RPGs or card games or miniatures games that are kind of in that crossover demographic or a good a good way of getting people started on, say, a miniatures game or an RPG by doing it in a in a simplified version on a board so what are some of your favorites hmm. does somebody else Dylan do you have an answer because if not I'll just I have, Dylan has I have a been, lot of answers been, and has overthought this yes so so maybe I should go last okay well I'll go ahead and jump in and, and uh, take the low lying fruit um, one that we played uh, a number of times and one that I really enjoy is uh, the Dungeons and Dragons uh, board games uh, specifically, they have a number of branded board games, but the ones I'm speaking of are, uh, there's a set of three. Um, there's a Ravenloft one, there's a Legend of Dritz one, and then there's a Wrath of a Shardlon, which I haven't played yet. Um, but they are really fucking fun. They're, they're kind of like, um, what is it? Uh, House, uh, House on the oh, Hill. Yeah, but Trail of House on the Hill. Yeah. Um, where, you start and you explore a dungeon that you build yourself through these tiles and monsters appear and things like that. And you pick from the basic classes. And the cool thing is, is if you own more than one of the sets, you can mix and match some of the pieces and stuff. But um, it does an excellent job of the feel of a D&D game, not so much in the role-playing, because that's something that is... You know, just inherent to that experience is something that you have to work on and collaborate on as a group. It's not something you're going to get just through a board game. But in terms of exploration and sort of the stress of um, dealing with things like traps and monsters and strategizing in situations and, you know, pulling all of your abilities and resources, um, I really think it does a great job of capturing that feel even if you know you're playing as essentially you know set characters and things like that but it's still an experience all it is is it's hero quest let's be honest it's fine but it's hero quest the next generation i haven't played hero quest so you never seriously you never played that not once it's Basically the same concept, except you've actually got a GM. Well, see, I think that's the part I like is not having a GM because... Yeah, I kind of agree there. Um, in a group setting, it, depend then it depends entirely on what type of person you have. Uh, I don't know, as far as hero quests, it may not even be an issue. You know, Their, their options may be fairly limited. Um, but having a GM in, in a role-playing <laughs> game... 
can vary wildly on who it is because you know <laughs> are they an adversarial uh, DM or are they somebody who just wants you know the players to have fun and tell their own story? So it, like uh, say the unmentionable one, yeah, like that asshole. Anyway, fuck that guy. <laughs> um, indeed. Uh, Charlie, how about you? Um, hmm, that's a tough one. There's one that it probably doesn't even really fit the category that I've not played yet, but I've bought and I have high hopes for, um, and that's Gauntlet of Fools, which is sort of a card game, but it it does throw in a few role playing elements where you have like a class and a we- and you have a class and weapon combination, and you're going through fighting monsters and traps. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm hoping it will be good. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Um, but basically, the idea is that you um, deal out a class card for every person and a weapons card on the class card, and that makes up the heroes. Then you essentially play a version of kind of Dirty Santa to see which <laughs> hero you end up with by adding minuses to each hero. Like, you, you make claims like you say oh my ninja could take on the gauntlet with one hand tied behind his back and that's there's like six different boasts uh hand tied behind your back hopping on one leg blindfolded before breakfast with a hangover and one other that i can't remember um that and yeah and you basically you make your hero you try to get your hero as close to the line of being almost unplayable so that nobody will steal him from you, because if somebody steals him from you, they have to add a a a, a boast to him, and then you guys <laughs> go through fighting the same monsters until everybody's dead. Most gold wins, and like I said, I have it's by the guy Dylan pointed this out because we got it at AWA. Um, our founder at AWA, but uh, Dylan pointed out to me it's by the same guy that created Dominion. Um, but the concept sounds good, and I've read through how to play. I just haven't. Uh, had the opportunity yet, but I, I, like I said, I've got high hopes for it. All right, so Dylan or Chad, which which one of you guys gonna well, take the? Wheel? Uh, yeah, I guess I I got to make a mention for the old, in the old days of Hero Quest, it really was kind of, it it was something that I believe was Milton Bradley originally, and they consulted, they had Games Workshop put it together as kind of a simplified dungeon crawl RPG on a board game. And it had the miniatures and it had the little punch out cardboard and plastic furniture and doors and all that. And it was, it, it was kind of the thing that got me started as far as because it was a board game. It was still fairly simple, but it was, had enough RPG elements to kind of, uh, really kind of suck you in as far as throwing, you know, you could, you could buy better weapons and, uh, switch out which spells you were carrying and albeit limitedly, but it, it was a good, well put together game. Another, another more recent one that we've played a few times and Dylan hates, but well, he hates everything is uh dust tactics is a good board game. I, I have not tried the uh, warfare, which is the tabletop version using the same miniatures, but it kind of simplifies it down and puts it on a board uh, in terms of basically it uses a lot of the concepts of a larger scale miniatures game and uses the board and that level of mechanics to kind of simplify things down to make it a little easier on beginners to learn. Hmm. That and it's World War II with giant robots and zombies. All right, Dylan, what you got? Okay, well, I, I when Chad mentioned hybrid games, I kind of took several different angles on this. Oh lord! Um, <laughs> what? what time no. do y'all have to? Uh, what, what time do y'all have to uh, record with? Nine. <laughs> Nine. We're good. Um, um, <laughs> I, I think the best examples are adventure games like Arkham Horror because it's basically a straight up board game with no role playing suggested, but it draws heavily on the RPG genre. Um, mm. There is a story. In fact, games like that depend on story because um, that's what unifies all the different mechanics as opposed to like a um, a more Euro game style 
uh, design like uh, Settlers of Catan or Lords of Waterdeep where it's clearly a couple of related mechanics that they've put a theme around. Um, but like in Arkham Horror, um, you know, the story, there's a story, you don't really contribute to it, um, but it's told through sneak rolls, attack rolls, movement points, spells, weapons, life, all your basic RPG elements. Um, in games like uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill and Manches of Madness, which I've never played, but I own, uh, kind of push the analogy further because they have one character taking on a game master-like role. Mm. Um, let's see. I think there are... Well, betrayal doesn't doesn't really put somebody in the game master role. Not really, but someone becomes the adversary. And True. Okay, good point. Okay, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's more what I'm thinking of. Um, and typically, like Chad said about Dust, I'm not a huge fan of miniatures combat. Um, and, and a lot of times when games incorporate these RPG elements and concepts, that's really what you get. But there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of ways to do combat, uh, reimagined outside the box of armor, hit points, weapon damage, two hit rolls, etc. Mm. Um, John, you, you and Jen got me a dungeon for, for my birthday and that's basically what dungeon does. Well, that's cool. I haven't gotten the chance to play it I've yet. Not, but, I've, I've, I've played it a couple of times over at Devon's, and it's infuriating. Um, <laughs> uh, you guys will all see when we get a we get a chance to play it. Um, let's see. Is it the reprint? Is it essentially a reprinted version of the one from like the early '80s or '70s? I believe so. And oh, I, I they, yeah, that is. I can't that say that an, for certain, but. If it is, because when I, I remember looking at the board and thinking, okay, this looks remarkably like a game that I have played, but much more ornate looking. Yeah, it can be, it can be a very, very I, infuriating. I'm, I'm game. pretty sure the two times we've played it, someone has ended up just like it. It's ended up in screaming. You take your turn. Go. Screw you. Piss <laughs> <laughs> off. Take your turn. Let's get this fucking shit over with. Yes. Um. <laughs> and. That person will probably be me. But anyway. No, that person will probably be everyone. Um, <laughs> Isn't that but, every time we play something? No. Um, but I'm trying to get back on my notes. Sorry. Um, and, and I think in some cases when board games borrow from, from mechanics, from RPGs mechanics, it it's kind of bad because... Like the reason I would probably put Arkham Horror over the D and D board games is one because I actually have slightly more options in Arkham Horror, but not much. But I feel significantly more limited because I'm used to playing those mechanics in a role playing environment where they are not my only options to interact with the world. Um, but at the same time, using RPG elements uh, in a board game. I don't have to prepare and, you know, have a dungeon master and all that. Um, let's see. I, th I think there are a lot of games, and, and maybe this gets overlooked, that kind of go the other way, where they're very clearly border card games, but they incorporate this storytelling aspect. Um, and in a lot of cases, obviously it has to be optional because, you know, not everyone at every moment feels like playing, you know, a ridiculously complicated, you know, fully acted, never out of character role playing game. Um, AG's Tempest setting, which includes uh, Love Letter, Courtier, Mercante, Dominaire, I don't know if they've released anymore, kind of does this by creating a shared backstory, um, but it's always a plot happening around the players rather than being affected by them. Um, really good examples of this are games like Lunch Money or Gloom, where you're technically expected to embellish upon the cards you play, but you don't have to. Um, and games like uh, Are You a Werewolf or The Resistance, or I've, again, I've never played this, uh, but there's a game called Diplomacy, basically force you to play with the context of the game and you know, a good game of any of those will build its own narrative outside of the mechanics. Like you will, you will figure out who you can trust, who's the traitor, you know, 
and, and you'll come up with a story to why you believe that is true. Um, but if you get right down to it, you could really tell a good story based on almost any game with a strong theme. Um, it kind of hit me that like if you played um, like a game like King of Tokyo is just a dice game, but because it's about giant monsters fighting over control of Tokyo and gaining powers and things like that, it's really, you know, you could, you know, you could kind of start uh, storytelling in the middle of one of those games. Um, and as far as like crossing over an RPG, crossing over into other um, areas, I'll probably have more to say on this when we get into the topic on RPGs that are product of their time. Wait, you're going to have more to say on this? Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm, I kid, I kid, I kid. Continue, Dylan. But no, I, I'll probably talk more about this because I think as RPGs mature, the way they expand their market is getting into other product lines. That's it. <sighs> Yay! Uh, that was actually really good. I, I I am so proud of you for taking notes. Um, Indeed. Uh, Charlie or Dylan, did either of you have a segment for this week? I kind of did. Okay. You're going to hate know. this. Um, it's more board games. It actually is. Dylan at the uh, board gamer's dating site. Anyway, continue. <laughs> oh, I actually did. Uh, there was a Penny Arcade comic. Uh, where they make reference to Battlestar Galactica, and I, I will send the link. And it was so funny, I was reading through it, and it was basically um, Gabe, like, dismissing the whole thing. It, it, you know, he plays with this engineer guy, and it takes him, like, an hour to set up the game, and, you know, the last And frame, the cards are tiny, and... No, he doesn't even say that. It's, it's told in three frames, but the last frame, he's just so, you know, nonchalant about it that he goes, oh, this card says I'm a Cylon. What does that mean? <laughs> just to ruin the entire thing. And it's like one of the few times I've been tempted to jump into defensive nerd rage mode recently, which is weird because um, I think board and card games are like the only area of my life that I don't suffer from imposter syndrome and feel like I've lost all my geek cred, but only because I play weekly. Um, but first of all, if you're using three boards, you're probably using two different options, possibly from two different expansions, which is overly complicated, especially for first-timers. Second, second of all, you should be playing the uh, Meg card game instead, but continue. No, BSG has a really weird way of doing expansions where options replace whole major elements, but it's like not nicely modular. Um, a lot of other games do this. Uh, two, I can set up a game in about 15 minutes, worst case, case scenario. So I don't know where he's getting an hour. Uh, but I keep all my little tokens in a divided plastic box. And Fantasy Flight is terrible about designing its inserts. Um, what I think uh, Tycho gets right in, in the blog post that accompanies about the, uh, the comic is it really is about complexity, and and I get into um, I get into this in the the tabletop gaming panel I'm I'm going to be doing at GMX. Um, you know he's in, in the in the blog post he talks about Shadows Over Camelot, which I've never played, but I find it funny that he calls mid range it kind of a mid range game, uh, from what I know that. I really think of the like a mid-range trader game as being something like the Resistance, which has a structure but doesn't have any like really core gameplay mechanics besides finding the trader. Um, and there are various arguments you could make over which is better. Um, but I think his point about hardcore hardcore tabletop viziers. Choking down these mid-range games um, is actually really good, even though I think I might fit that description. Um, because you only get to the you only get to the point where you play those hardcore games regular if you're playing regularly, and you can't really hold it against people you don't who don't. And sometimes you don't want that much complexity. Um, the whole point of complexity in a game like that is fending off OCD and ADD about like. You know, 
and, and forcing to forcing players to stay engaged rather than getting distracted when their turn goes, you know, uh, when their turn ends. Um, some people can't help but get distracted when their turn ends, before it begins, um, you know, what in the middle of an action. Some people are just like that. And that, that's actually why I would prefer playing um, uh, Shadows Over Camelot. They did an episode on tabletop, actually with the uh, guys from Penny Arcade. Um, it doesn't feel like it forces everyone to be involved in every decision like Battlestar Galactica does, which I really like. Um, but also, like that level of complexity, I, I like a game that has a level of complexity one level above what people can actually master because it kind of keeps things chaotic. Um, but he's right that you can't really run down casual games because, and, and I, I, I specifically put this in, in the board gaming panel, you know, you match the games you play. And, and this is true of RPGs as well. You match the games you play to your friends. You can't really afford force your friends to fit your collection of games um, because analog gaming, whether that's RPGs or board games, or games is a social hobby. And if it ceases to be that, it becomes sort of pointless. In other words, you have to match it to the level of incompetence of people around you. Yes, not necessarily, like not everything necessarily, else. Because, because that's the thing. There are some very simple games that are not necessarily incompetent games. Dylan, um, Dylan, I want you to look in the floor Yes. Do you see something lying there in a blood in a pool of blood? It's the joke. And you killed it. Well, congratulations. You are a murderer. I'm a murderer. Anyway, that's that's it. Well, you know, once you pop, you can't stop when it comes to murders. It's true. But you that's can't why I always bury the bodies in the backyard. M- murders are like potato chips. Well, I stopped with one. Anyway, I, I but feel like bad for you in the long run. I kind of feel like uh, on that point, maybe Lay's should have sponsored Dexter. <laughs> you That's, know, the marketing writes itself. It does. It writes itself. Couldn't have made. I don't know. I I, I have no interest in that show. I was gonna I was gonna try and make some I don't either. comment about it because we're always talking about how bad the last season was, but I, I just don't have it in me. It's like I don't care. <laughs> you know, I, I I stopped. You know. My my interest in the lead actor uh, ended when I w- uh, no longer had to watch uh, si- uh, Six Feet Under because uh, that's what Nathan and Crystal were watching when they were living with us. And you know, it wasn't like, so. It wasn't, wasn't a, a bad show. It wasn't a bad show, but I wouldn't have gone out of my way to watch it. It was bad in large quantities. It was depressing in large quantities. Which it I think a- they marathoned that show anyway, so oh. that that played into it as well. It's like walking in the living room. Oh, hey, there's. Something horrible going on. Oh, there's two gay guys going at it. All right. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Nothing against it. You know, just just like a lot of people don't want to see me naked, which is fine. I get it. You know, I don't necessarily want to see that either. So, And we, we will accommodate you guys if you guys will accommodate us. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just going to get real weird up in here. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Um, well, I guess then... Um, uh, I'm going to shame Charlie for not having a segment this week, and uh, it's okay. You you do other stuff good. It's fine. I'm, I'm just assuming that not every week, everyone not everyone will have a segment every week. Just I'm, because that's I'm going to. <laughs> I I not only do I have a segment every week, I have a video accompanying it every week. I I have stepped my game up. I'm I'm <laughs> waiting. I'm waiting on the rest of you to join me on my level. Some sometimes I don't always have stuff to talk about. When I do, all shall despair, as they did, you know, today. Indeed. Um, well, this week, um, I was talking about something that I've talked about before, um, and that is games that are not games, per se, um, in, in the strictest, you know, textbook definition of what a game is, Um and specifically, what I point out is there's a game that came out recently called Beyond Two Souls, um, and it's more like an interactive movie than it is an actual game, because you press buttons and stuff happens, but you can't actually lose the game. Um, if you just sit down the controller and do nothing, you will get an ending at some point. 
It's it's <laughs> going to happen. Well, okay. Technically, that's not true because there's like certain parts of the game where you have to do something, but that's just to you know get past uh, a certain point in the game, and then you then you can proceed to set the controller back down and do nothing. <laughs> uh, They're trying to make sure you're not a spam bot playing the game. <laughs> yes, exactly. You have to go through. Uh, you know, human checks every once in a while, but um, you can you can play the game with no level of skill or interest or interaction, and uh, you know get get to the end of it. And um, the 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 studio head uh, David Cage, you know, made the statement that nobody should be able to talk about what a video game is or should be, and it's an interesting statement and. I agree with what he's saying in principle and that developers should be able to um, experiment with the interaction that you have in playing a video game. But saying that nobody can or should define what it is is, first of all, it's a little highfalutin. Um, second of all, it's uh, it's asking a little much because there is an expectation when you go to uh buy a game you know like i heard people talking about the walking dead at the store uh mm. not too long ago i went to uh, mckay's and one guy was like yeah don't buy that game you can't shoot zombies or anything it's just you know that's a lie you do shoot zombies you it's shoot just... zombies by clicking on the gun and then clicking on the zombie this guy wanted the first person shooter yeah so that there's a difference there anyway um I think we've gotten to a point, at least with some types of games, that it becomes a misnomer. That that you know, what what do you guys think? Do we need, you know, is it okay to just call them video games because that's the pla- you know that's the platform we use to play them, or should we trot out some other term like interactive experience? They they tried it with interactive movies in the early '90s. Remember when CD-ROMs first came along? Remember the Philips CDI and all those crappy Zelda games? <laughs> yep. I mean, yeah, I, it, it it sounds like it's a reincarnation of that, and we all know yeah. how well that turned out. It doesn't yeah. have to be. It can be, but it doesn't have to be because I think in many cases, name um, a good example. Name a good example. Um, I I would say Walking Dead to a certain extent. Um, Braid, I think we discussed is not technically technically a game but it's interesting in it's not technically a game in the sense that you can't lose it's it's a game in that it, it uses a lot of the mechanics and conventions of a video game but yeah as as um, a, as i say in the video it's not technically something you can lose at unless you just quit i'm i'm hesitant to say kentucky route 0 cuz i've only played the first two acts but it's it's really interesting. And, and like I said, going into playing Kentucky Route Zero, it was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, this is going to be. And I was kind of the same way with The Walking Dead, like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And if you play it enough and you get into the story, you're like, yeah, it can force you to care about situations and characters and settings just the same as a really good RPG or first-person shooter or whatever can. Um and, and so it's kind of it's kind of it goes back to what I was saying about hybrid games almost. Um, there are some games like, you know, if you looked at where are you a werewolf or the resistance or diplomacy, those are games that you could wrap up in five minutes, except for the human interaction element. And the human interaction element has there's no mechanic that can drive that that can track how well that happens. It's context that you have to create, and that's what these a lot of these games do, um, like The Walking Dead and, and um, Kentucky Route Zero. I, I think mm-hmm. the the reason it went badly with the CDI and with um, let's see the CDI and, pouring cereal and full motion dog vi- food full motion video oh. games um, was because it it wasn't like these were the this was like cutting edge technology and they had to find a reason to use them in the case of games like walking dead and Kentucky route zero. They're not cutting edge technology. They are people experimenting with the medium. I think, um, I would be a lot more open to those types of interactions and that type of storytelling. 
if there was more of a gameplay element to it. Uh, I mean, I know it's going to take a lot of time and development and money and effort, but I don't see why you couldn't marry um, aspects of, you know, say, Mass Effect in terms of, you know, storytelling and gameplay with elements of a game like Beyond Two Souls, where you can kind of play the game and do different things and have a wide variance of outcomes. Um, I think to a point... um, Charlie and Dylan, I haven't played the game, but hearing you guys talk about it, um, Dishonored does that to some extent, at least, you know, in, in, in talking about, you know, a high variance. I mean, it's certainly not that that way in terms of the storytelling, but... Well, and it, it like I said, it, it creates... It doesn't give you just a simple, flat-out choose A or B decision. It, it makes that decision... It puts that decision into the context of the game. Yeah. Um, but I, I think a lot of these games actually... Like, yeah, Mass Effect does it really well. But I think the existence of these games, even if they're not games themselves, what they're doing is isolating a mechanic or a concept and allowing a developer to play around with it without creating a full-fledged game. So they could do a Mass Effect, or they could play with this idea, which will get incorporated into whatever the next Mass Effect you know, level RPG is. Well, the the thing True. is, is I haven't seen those things be incorporated together yet. I've seen a lot of people make games like Beyond Two Souls and um, The Walking Dead and, and other games of that. Oh, what was the other one? Indigo Prophecy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of those games, but those developers never seem to take that next step and try and incorporate, you know, some sort of core gameplay system into all of it. They're content with just sticking to that style and yeah I, well i think that's my frustration is i want to see somebody not necessarily one of those developers but someone take that next step and, and evolve uh, well I, that's kind of what i mean not necessarily that the the same developers will do that but someone else will play you know the walking dead and say and that will give them an idea of how to play with that decision making system but also i think like games like the walking dead it's it's really it would be really hard to marry that system to gameplay. Not not that it's impossible, but that if you you know if if I have to make a decision, run down a hallway and shoot five zombies, and then make another decision, it sort of takes me out of the um, kind of takes me out of that experience the the emotional experience that they're trying to create so i i understand but you know that's an issue of pacing and that's something that can be overcome i'm not saying it's it easy be. but I, it, I don't i don't think the walking dead would be the walking dead if they tried to make it into to if the telltale game at least into a standard genre and i'm not saying that because i think it's the greatest thing ever because i'm not big on zombies and whatever but you know, I think there's a place within the larger market for that. Not necessarily that it is the future and the greatest thing. No, I whatever say one it's should the future, be definitely. All right, but but I think you make a good point about being able to try out certain things and and the only, I guess the issue that comes up though is that, like you say, you know, a game tries out something, somebody plays that game and then says, oh, I you know, what could I maybe do with this element? I really like that. Is that you will never see that connection, or we as the as the as the market will never see that connection because it could be years. I mean, the person playing Walking Dead today could be a you know fifteen years old, and it may be another decade or or two before you see the fruits of of whatever that that was. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll take that long because these things. Tend well, not to- but I'm saying it, it it could possibly take a long time. I mean, you, there, there's there's at least going to be a sizable gap, and if it's not the same developer or someone involved in the process, we as the market would never even be aware that oh, this this idea, this theme, this one mechanic from this one game, unless it becomes unless it's one of those things that just becomes a huge. A huge thing, like people start copying all over, to where it becomes almost like a subgenre. Well, and to be honest, I don't even think like The Walking Dead. Like, I don't think you can point to one game and say 
you know, that they did this. What Walking yeah. Dead did is an evolution of Mass Effect. It's an evolution of other things, and other games have done it in parallel with Mass Effect, so or with um, Walking Dead. So it's not like Telltale is like this genius golden child who, you know, understands story so much better than anyone else ever could. Yeah, go back and play some of their other games, like the Law and Order <laughs> Choose Your Own Adventure game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did no, I, I did buy the um, the Back to the Future adventure game, and I kind of am curious to see how that works out. Wait, Back to the Future adventure game? Yes. Yeah. Telltale made a Back to the Future. I think this was before Walking Dead. It was. And I think you can download the first part free. Yeah. Mm, don't think I want to. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't either. I, I tried it, and I'm like, nope. Do do you play Marty McFly? How does that work? You do. Oh, yeah. It's 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 just depressing. <laughs> anyway, um, we we need to wrap this up quickly so you guys can get to your uh, recording with Basil for Awesome Cast, oh, which yeah. we'll be sure to uh, put up on the site as well. But really quickly, uh, your manager specials for the week. Uh, Chad, go. I have none. Okay. Oh. Good job. Good effort, Charlie. I've got two. <laughs> All right. Chad. Is one of them um, not really a, re- a recommendation? Maybe. No, but what? what? No. All of my recommendations have been recommendations. You don't just because you don't appreciate friendship doesn't mean it wasn't a recommendation. <laughs> so you can suck it, sir. Um. No, I'm going to suggest two games. I'm going to suggest uh, or recommend Love Letter. Um, which Dylan introduced me to. That's a really fun game. Uh, and also want to recommend at least the, I've gotten to play it now twice. Um, we didn't play test this at all. Also so far a pretty good game. And I'm not just saying that because I've won it both times. How many people were you playing with? Um, let's see four or five. Because I tried playing it with Chad, and with two people, it is not not a good game. But yes, with, uh, it seems I, like a, a very elimination-based game. Anyway, it's yeah. I would um, I would definitely suggest, even though I know it says you can play with two people, I, I don't think it really picks up probably until four. Three might be okay, but I've not played it with three. I think both times, it, it was, I can't remember if it was four or five people, but it worked pretty well. And honestly, um, any single hand did not last very long. I, I will also also throw this out for Love Letter since we are nominally anime-focused or themed. They, they have released a version of that that uh, has the original Japanese art. Which is the one that I got. As opposed and, to like the AEG Tempest art. Well, and it's not just the art, though. The titles of titles, the characters yeah. are also different, except for the princess and the soldier. I think everybody else is different. Um, and But the interesting thing about the Japanese art is that that box gives you two promo cards so that you have the option of the princess, the princess with glasses, or the prince. Which is, I mean, it, obviously it does not affect gameplay at all, but it, it is just kind of a neat, neat option to throw in. But okay. those, those are my two. Dylan, how about you? Um, you know, I've got a bunch of stuff on my uh, recommendations list, but a lot of it is old and I'm not familiar with it or I'm not ready to get into it. So um, I'm just going to recommend Battlestar Galactica, the board game. Uh, kind of to, since I talked about it, and also to run as a counter to Penny Arcade. Um, find out which of your friends are traitors, and uh, make sure they it. don't become the Admiral or the President. So, do not let Dylan become the Admiral or the President, because we don't yep. have Cylon. Because then you will have uh, access to the uh, nuclear stockpile. Or the quorum. And just ask yourself this question, do you really want Dylan to put his C. finger on the button? Uh, I'm pretty know. sure people would rather have him there than my finger on the button. Well, obviously. <laughs> what does this do? Hmm. The shiny candy-like button. Oh, so get you some of that. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Um, this week, I'm going to pimp out one of our former guests, uh, as I want to do in this uh, portion of the program. Um, after having some Twitter banter with him this week, I decided I was going to pimp out uh, Micah Solusad, uh, former guest, uh, both here and on Awesome Cast, and also someone who uh, has had Charlie up to uh, co-host some of his panels. It's a real thing that happened. Um, but uh, check out his website, check him out on Twitter, check out his webcomic. Uh, it's called Ties at Vine. I'll put the uh, links to all that up on the site. Yeah. Um, is is Michael Soyasad the greatest human being on Earth? I You know, I can't say that he is, but you know what? I can't say that he isn't. Yeah, there's that. Um, anyway, guys, uh, thank you all for listening. Be sure to check back on Wednesday for the interview with Courtney Taylor. And be sure to check out uh, our YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, podcast at ChainsawBuffet.com, blah, 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 blah. Until then, remember... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I got nothing. I got yep. nothing. You, you forget. Always remember to never forget. Uh, Hash, hashtag never forget. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>